Oh, you queuing it up? Yeah. Let's do it. I'm on it. I feel good about this one. I don't know why, because that was like really kind of a blase viewing experience. Yeah. Like nothing about this movie got me fired up, but for some reason I'm really ready to talk about it. I'm ready to talk about it too. I, you know, I feel like, yeah, I feel like that. I feel like we got, we got something to say. Only two cubs in the den this time. The original cubs, mommy and daddy cubs, panthers. <laughs> when was the last time we watched the movie first and then like rolled right into the recording? I it's, think it was Time to Kill. Was it really that long? It might have been. Oh, wait. No, we did Adaptation with Lionel. Oh, that's right. But I think that those, I think that was yeah. the last one. Yeah. Yeah. So we're coming so fresh and we did a good job not talking about it too much beforehand. I so. definitely retained everything I just watched. Yeah, I did too. I'm very lucid on the whole experience. Um, Which is weird because there wasn't much <laughs> lucidity in the plot itself or my, really anything about the movie. Um, well, we were talking about 2008's Bangkok Dangerous today. Um, and I, I did a little research before coming in. I was. This is a remake of a 1999 film of the same name by the Pang brothers who are... Uh, Thai Chinese uh, duo of identical twins. Identical. Uh, identical. That makes it weirder somehow. Yeah, and what the the way that they direct is um, one of them will show up. One of them will show up to direct, and the other one will stay home. So it's like <laughs> it's like people, you never know which one you're getting. Yeah, apparently, apparently they're like easy to mix up, and they just kind of like they operate as like one mind, but not like the Coens where they're there together. They're like they just trade off. Um, so yeah, they, their debut film was Bangkok Dangerous, and um, it, it, I think it was a big hit. And then they made they made the original film, uh, the Japanese horror film The Eye. I don't know if you ever seen that. I haven't seen that one. But it was famously remade starring Jessica Alba in the mid-2000s. It's, it's about a, some, a, a blind person gets an eye transplant, and then but she can see ghosts. <laughs> anyway, it was a big hit, and there's like 10 sequels or something. I think I vaguely remember the Jessica Alba version coming yeah, out. Th- that wasn't very good. I remember the original being okay. So, uh, you know, their, their star was rising and uh, who should watch the original Bangkok Dangerous and love it, but head of Saturn Films himself, Nicolas Cage, um, who wiped up the rights and uh, they remade it starring him. Now, the original version of the film, it, apparently... <laughs> apparently his character, the assa- this is a movie about an assassin who, I don't know, learns to live, l- learns to love again. I don't know. It's just, it's about an assassin. And uh, in the original one, the assassin was deaf, which contributed to him being like a, a badass, I guess. He, he like couldn't hear gunfire, but he could like sense, I, I don't know, I haven't seen it. And he's like a, you know, a really handsome 20 something Thai man. Um, and in the remake, Nicolas Cage is 
about 20 years older, but has the same hair and is notably not deaf, which according to an interview with the Pangs with the New York Times was for quote, marketing reasons. They didn't think they could market cages as a deaf deaf person. person. He had to have lines. He had to say things. Honestly, that would have been a more interesting movie. That's I think. yeah. I, I would think have it, liked to have seen Cage like uh, to be deaf on screen. Yeah, he would have acted more and better. Um, and there or were, at all. There, yeah, and then there would have been a hook, some sort of hook. Like I'm interested in the film about the deaf assassin. Like I haven't seen that, but I'm way less interested in the film about the assassin who has one last job. And that's the movie that we watched. My favorite trope. Yeah. There Just was, going back in for one last job and it gets botched. There were so many uh, tropes in this. So one that uh, I, I want to point out right off the bat is the uh, the one bleach blonde henchman. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> like the hair sticks straight up and it's, yeah. it's bl- like almost white. Yeah, that was good. Um, what else? I don't know. We'll, we'll come back to him. But yeah, this was a very sort of by the numbers film. Uh, another thing that the Pang brothers said that they uh, wanted was to show Thailand and Bangkok like from a, from their perspective, from a native perspective, because they feel like when foreigners come in and film there, um, the spirit of the city doesn't get communicated. So on, on with that in mind, what a... What's your take on Bangkok, on the spirit of Bangkok? I mean, honestly, it portrays it as a pretty gross, seedy place. I'm yeah. surprised that 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 this was their way of trying to portray it in a way they thought was more truthful because it seemed so Hollywood. Yeah, to me, you know, like how people expect Bang. You know, there's just there's like. There's like a creepy middle-aged dudes like walking around, like getting solicited, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? And there's like people, there's just like dirty night street markets where people are like yelling at each other and just like stuff's like flying through the air and there's yeah. like exhaust and loud motorcycles. And it's like exhaust and neon and... Uh, I don't know, that might be how it is, but it yeah. seemed pretty uh, one-dimensional to me. I mean, visually this film is just it's not very interesting and it's also just kind of gross looking. Like it's really either. The whole, yeah. The whole thing's done in a really flat gray, grainy yeah. kind of. It's clearly DV. It's clearly like digital, uh, mid range digital cameras from like the two thousands. Like it looks when they do slow motion, it gets really jerky and which is they, they do too much. And <laughs> I feel like they do it like every other scene. And and there's so much and just like when when they're outside everything is blown out and like you know kind of flat looking and when it's it, they're inside everything is too dark. It's just like it's not fun to look at. And then they do the very like it's edited in the like Hong Kong action style of just like super fast edits to like a lot of close-ups and different angles of things happening. But it, it also, it doesn't, that doesn't really feel exciting. I guess it keeps it from feeling too boring, but it's like, but it, but it causes, it causes there to not be any sense of space, Mm, you know, to the viewer. Like I didn't feel like they were shooting each other in any kind of actual physical place that really exists. Right. 
Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. It's just like dark corners and like, you Mm -hmm. know, random grimy catwalks. Yeah. And like, you know, empty warehouse corners that they were lurking around in. It's also, it also creates sort of like a deadening rhythm to the, like, because the whole thing is edited as if, you know, in this, like the, the way that it's edited when Nick Cage is like, has a bead on a politician uh, from like a perch and is like struggling over like whether he should shoot him having like an anxiety attack is it's that editing is the exact same as like when he's on a date. <laughs> just the, so the effect is just sort of like, but by halfway through you're just like, okay. And, and they did all the tired. The, yeah. They did all the weird flashbacks and forwards to like his history of killing people mm-hmm. and how he thinks that the future of his relationship is going to go. If he goes through with the murder all these sorts of weird that like I thought that they were I thought that they thought that they were being clever with like stretching time right. and playing with like the viewer's perception of what really happens but it just gave it a sense of it not actually it, it was just so unspecific mm-hmm. you know everything was kind of painted with the same brush yeah it it all just turned into kind of a a, a broth <laughs> so why why this movie, what, what did Cage want out of it? I, I think I have a satisfying answer for that too. Well, actually, let's hear it from the man himself. Hold on, there's like five seconds of lag before this starts. Here we go. And Cage. I want to have a whole new uh, uh, way of presenting myself as Nicolas Cage in filmmaking. And, and that means going to Bangkok, having a, a Thai crew, having Chinese filmmakers, and letting them do to me what they think will fit within their vision, their world. That's brand new. I mean, I'm just giving myself over to their vision, and hopefully they'll reinvent me. So that's what I find really stimulating about this. Well, there was, they didn't reinvent him. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I and but I, I mean, I think that that I think that that should be applauded. I think that that mentality should be applauded in a certain way because I don't think enough, I don't think enough celebrities, yeah. you know, will allow themselves to truly take chances like that and put themselves in the hands of of you know a, a new way of working. Yeah, I, I but mean, it didn't pay off in this instance. No, it's interesting because yeah, I, I completely agree. Like, I think that is really cool that he's like basically like here are these young filmmakers who are in a completely foreign market and he's like okay I will lend my star power to you to try for you to cross over here and in exchange all I want is to be to for you to treat me like you know for you to reinvent me you to you just tell me what to do basically like I mean, that's, that's awesome. And I think the, yeah, the bummer thing is that they were like, oh, sweet, Nicolas Cage. Like, I, I just, that they're not that interesting of filmmakers, you know, that they used him in roughly the same way that I think we're going to see a lot of like, kind of like low rent video on demand directors uh, using him. And I feel like this is the start of that era. Yeah. It is. And it's funny because I, I mean, this is just me theorizing at this point, but I, I know that. This whole I, podcast is just us theorizing, Dave. True, yeah. The, yeah. <laughs> I, I know that his his happy place kind of that he's he, he talks about a lot in interviews is him making 
movies in the backyard with like his, his cousin or his brother. And, uh, and just on like super eight cameras or whatever, like he, the, he's talked about like in con air and the rock, like, Oh, I'm back to that sensibility that, that I think action movies sort of is where he feels the most, like he's like playing around. And so it makes sense to me that he would sort of go back to action as I think, cause I mean, national treasure is not, it, it, it's an action movie, but it, it's not, not in the same pure way. And he's, you know, he's kind of since sort of reinventing himself in the mid nineties after leaving Las Vegas as like an action star, he's sort of bounced between character driven uh, movies of wildly varying qualities and uh, this sort of, yeah, action, action movies of, less varying quality, but it makes sense that, that this is kind of where he's at now. And I'm, I'm interested to see kind of how, do you mean like what, like, like now that he is at the place where he can basically do whatever he wants, that this is what he chooses to do. And yeah. And I guess just, it's interesting that that's kind of what he was feeling. I think like a need for reinvention. Like, I think again, like I'm theorizing, but I think he might've kind of felt like he might've felt it was growing stale. Um, yeah, well, which which is interesting, too, because I feel like it goes back to the basic, the idea of, I don't know how much this movie cost. I do. It cost $45 million. Oh, that's more than I thought. Because I was going to say it actually looked like at certain parts, like it was kind of a low budget action. I know. Movie, you know, so I, I know. But I'm knowing now, maybe I should have said this before. No, but that, that I found goes, out. But 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 yeah. but like you know, it makes sense to me that he would that he would choose that as a way to reinvent himself mm-hmm. because it really is just getting back to like the nitty gritty of you know uh, some some a, a couple crew members yeah. kind of just guerrilla styling it in like an action you know I, like in like a street action movie totally and i don't know where that money went because okay the original one cost four hundred thousand dollars and i watched a little bit of it and it looks great like it looks <laughs> roughly the same um is it too much to say that like maybe it was cage's salary like, it could be you know it i would be. like to think that he because saturn um, the company that produced it because, mm. because he was one of the credited producers, I, you know, who knows what that means, how much yeah. he actually did but, in regards yeah, to that. But, but I don't think it was, he, I don't think he donated his salary. No, yeah, exactly. Right. right. So, yeah. And, but yeah, anyway. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Cause, uh, and I, I also watched some like behind the scenes stuff of them shooting this and it looked like a small crew. Like it looked anyway, the, the money didn't show up on screen. <laughs> and it went right back into his haunted New Orleans mansion. <laughs> I think so. So uh, we we have him reinventing himself and the Pang brothers stepping up for the international stage, and what we get is like something something just really safe, just a really safe movie. Like there's no. It, it it felt very formulaic. There's a couple of chase scenes um, that are okay, there's, there's like a couple action, there's like some shots, there's some ideas that I think speak to like Hong Kong. Well, I mean, specifically, I, th- I guess I'm thinking of John Woo because I don't really know that much about Hong Kong cinema, but like there's stuff that's stylish in that way that came through for me, but a lot of it, either the style felt like it was like <laughs> too much or unnecessary, or it just was like, it, it just was blah to me. It was not. Well, be, I think it didn't 
choose a camp enough. Mm, maybe. It didn't devote itself to being like just a 100% adrenaline pumping mm-hmm. action movie. And it didn't devote itself enough to being a sort of Brooding, character like, drama yeah. of an emotionally damaged man. Right. And as a result, it, it fell somewhere in the middle of two lukewarm halves. Yeah. And it, it was just, it didn't add up to anything. Uh, I, I'd place some of the blame, but probably not a lot of the blame at the feet of writer Jason Richman, um, who was, had a, a track record about the same as, about as long as the Pang brothers, but before writing this movie, um, which, you know, I, I just assumed somebody gave him, you know, they just called him up and they were like, Hey, we're remaking this thing. Here's the basic plot points. Like here and, and the character, main character needs to speak in here now. <laughs> Well, see, that that to me feels like, yeah, I feel like as a writer, those kind of jobs would just be maddening yeah. because, I mean, sh- maybe sure, it kind of, it's, it's a paycheck, I guess, but at the same time, it's like when you're forced into such a corner yeah. that, you know, you don't really have a chance to, to flourish, and as a result, you can tell... Like, you know, it, it shows up on screen that he was pretty no, unenthusiastic he, about it. He turned out something that was like perfectly competent. But, but before doing this, I just think it's funny. His first film that he wrote was uh, Bad Company, uh, which was a Joel Schumacher thriller starring Anthony Hopkins and Chris Rock. Kind of want to watch that now. Yeah, I, rem- I remember th- that existing and being like, what? And then forgetting. And then his second movie was Swing Vote, the the comedy where Kevin Costner is like, he's like the one person who didn't vote in some election or something or, and so both, and he, it, it all hinges on his vote. So both politicians are like coming to his house and being like, he, he's like, he's also like a farmer. Like, you know, he's like he, middle America, like uh, Joe, the plumber type guy. <laughs> so both uh, politicians are like coming to his house. I watched it on an airplane, by the way. Uh, they're, they're coming to his house and being like, please, please, Mr. Mr. America, like, please let you, you want, you, you want us to do this or that? Like you got it. Anyway, that's what Jason Richmond did before uh, this. And he hasn't done much since. Oh, yeah, I'm looking at the IMDb page of Bad Company right now. <laughs> Straight up, kind of want to watch this. Schumacher. I mean, Schumacher, you didn't know. Didn't Cage work with Schumacher? Yeah, dude, Schumacher what, did 8mm. 8mm. Yeah. Interesting. My One of my least favorite films that I've ever seen. Yeah, that was rough. Yeah, so we, we, get, we get a pretty by-the-numbers movie. Uh, Nicholas Cage is in a sat. It starts with voiceover, which is always a good sign. Uh, I, the voiceover killed so much momentum that this movie yeah. had. I think his character would have been so much more interesting if they had dispensed with the voice. No voiceover, no hearing. Just have him be like just, a silent killing machine. Yeah. Instead, they get him just saying in voiceover like. Here are the rules of being an assassin. Don't like, don't trust anyone. Don't trust anyone. Don't don't make any connections. Just uh, and. Uh, you know, listing all the things that he goes on to break, his rules that he breaks because this is his one, one last, last job. job. And we get the, the the introduction of the bad Thai people who hired him. Uh, I like the they they're like, they're like, who is this guy? And they're like, I don't know. The Russians swear by him, which is crazy. We just shadowy actors all over the globe getting his services, and and now for this one last job, these these bad men, these mafia. I mean, I'm not even really clear on what they did. 
Yeah, they, it was there was just no, there was no clarity as to whether they were like part of some sort of underworld or they, you know they own a strip club. Yeah, no, that, it's not even just a club. Yeah, yeah, just a club. Yeah, it was just a weird dance club, which had another club for the pantheon of bizarre clubs and cage movies. <laughs> there was a club that in one of the like montages of just people bustling around the street, which there are a lot of, um, there was a, a sign for a neon sign for a club called Spice Girls, <laughs> which I, I like to think that that was the club that we were inside for a lot of the movie. But, but I mean, on stage, like instead of like, it's not like a strip club, but there's like a V-shaped stage with a bunch of, Go-go dancers, go-go dancers, like, like in leather and boots, but they're just dancing to like weird. Uh, I don't. What I, are they dancing? What are? To? What is it? How do you describe that music? It's it's like a type of drum and bass. I guess. Yeah, it's like drum and <laughs> bass like, meets like Euro disco, but like mid two thousands weird kind of like ESL lyrics about like dancing and grinding and I don't know. I wonder what the sound. I, I like to get a copy of the soundtrack of this film. I would not, dude. I hated the the a lot of the the soundtrack music um, was there's no like pop songs, which is fine, but like it was the the score. That's the word I'm looking for. The score was like so generic and shitty. Um, I don't even have anything to say about it, but uh, I I it distracted me through the whole movie. It sounded like. I don't know. Because it was just following the movements of everyone mm-hmm. on screen. And there was that like per- kind of percussive like ding a 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 ding are he, he well I guess the way that he works when he goes into a, a place is he sizes up some like street hustler some like pickpocket and uh, starts using paying him to be his personal assistant like he wants someone to like run packages and stuff for him to be a go between who he then will kill at the end of the the movie or the end of the job I mean and uh, so he sizes up a, a pickpocket named. Kong, played by Shakrit Yamnarm. That's, you know. We apologize for Maggie. Sorry, your so name. sorry. <laughs> um, apparently, he's a big star in Thai film, but uh, yeah, he was fine in this. And he, <laughs> he, he. Yeah, everyone was just kind of fine. Yeah. I don't know. Nothing really popped. Um, I do think this idea of just picking up like a random street thief to do to bring into your confidence a little bit. It feels like a really insecure way of doing business with this amount of like money and precision sort of necessary. But you know, who am I to question? Wait, I'm sorry. Can we talk about the, the precision speaking of precision, the time of this movie, like the way that he is, he's obsessed with everything happening on a precise schedule. Like he has washed the counts down and he takes the shot exactly as it hits zero. Mm-hmm. Like he has his entire like life is lined up to the minute. Actually kind of reminiscent to me of, um, matchstick men. There was, there was another movie where like, um, Cage's character was obsessed with time and like keeping, keeping things on a yes. specific clock. Yeah. It was matchstick. Man. Was it matchstick? Yeah. Man? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the first time he did it made sense because he he did a sniper shot. 
he was in a bell tower, of course. And he, um, I mean, where else do you take a shot from? And he fired the shot dur- like right as the hour hit. So the bong, the, the bong, <laughs> the bell, the bell ringing would, uh, cover up the sound of the, the gun. But, uh, yeah. But then after that, he's like being like a sh- shitty boss to Kong. He sounds like a shitty manager at your like fast food job. Yeah. You, you know, where he's like, if you're one minute late, you don't get paid. Yeah, exactly. And then he comes like late one time and he's like, I'm so sorry. Uh, and or he's, she tries to apologize and Cage goes, I don't need an excuse. Uh, I need you to be on time or yeah, something like that. I, know. Like, I was just, after you said that, I was just picturing like, uh, different like assistant managers like watching this movie being like yeah yeah that's how I'm trying to be like and then like for your best employee being like taking them into your confidence and being like I'm not your boss I'm your teacher now it's <laughs> just picturing him as like a Starbucks manager yeah so he he breaks the rule like he, he Kong starts working for him and then for kind of no reason he takes him into his confidence it, it says in the voiceover he's like I looked in his eyes and I saw something of myself there it's just like what I don't know it doesn't fucking matter well but we don't know anything about his past so how do we even know who right. he is or or, yeah, or we, what he sees who, about it yeah I don't know none of that is is gone into um, and uh, he falls in love with. A, a deaf pharmacist. A deaf pharmacist um, who's apparently just been waiting for some <laughs> some sweaty older American man to come and just like wave his hands around in front of her. <laughs> like they... <laughs> the scenes of him trying to communicate with her are... They have... It's like not even like no chemistry. It's like negative chemistry. Like they're, the scenes with their relationship are just like a black hole of romantic chemistry because I mean, her character is very shy and deaf and, um, but and that's it. And that's it. No and other character traits. So they like go out and beautiful. And, and so they'll, they, they go out to dinner, um, order some sort of like soup that's on fire <laughs> look like. And, uh, as cage keeps eating stuff, it's like too hot for him and he's just sweating all over the place. She's like handing him mint leaves, I think. And that was like, in a weird way, that scene in the scene with the elephant, Mm -hmm. that was, that was their, the two date scenes. And I feel like in a weird way, even though the scenes were extremely cringeworthy, his character was the most endearing that he was the entire time in those scenes where he's trying to really, where he's kind of tender and opening up and trying to make a connection with her. And it's funny after watching the like behind the scenes stuff with him, the way that he is in those scenes was kind of the way that Nicolas Cage was with the directors and the crew and everything. Like he seems like he's very much like he doesn't really understand everything that is being asked or that's going on, but he's, 100% 100% showing up for it and is there and like, huh? Okay. Yeah. Like he wants to, he wants to please. And that was the feeling of those scenes. I, I, I mean, I don't Which know. Which is actually, I think pretty rare for a movie star at Cage's level yeah. at this point in his career is to actually really be a hundred percent, like genuinely, even if you don't understand everything, you're just, you're yeah. kind of on board for the process. Yeah. He's totally like giving himself over to it and which is cool. Um, and yet the final product. Yeah. I mean it, 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 in like bizarrely, like I think that translates in, in those scenes as, you know, as yeah, like a character thing of he's like, he desperately wants to 
to woo this person. But I, I do think part of that is also him just being like, is this, is this what we're trying to do right here? Is this the chemistry? What, what do you, uh, you know, like he, he doesn't, he doesn't feel like he knows what's going on really. But yeah, they meet a street elephant. That was, that was nice. And, uh, there's a moment where he's trying to throw plantains into its mouth, uh, <laughs> that I really want a gif of if someone wants to make one and send it to me. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's just like him sweating and like <laughs> throwing fruit at an elephant. <laughs> and then she hands him a note that says like, I like being with you very much. And immediately, um, I think like a pickpocket takes her wallet or something. And he just like murks these two guys in the street. He just assassinates them. And, uh, and that's it. That's it for love. You know, he tried to get close to somebody and, but then she saw him for the, for the monster mo- that he really yeah, the, was. Like, li- actual, like m- moralist, uh, killing machine that we're supposed to care about. Well, it's, he's such a weird kind of anti-hero because yeah. he doesn't, there's not actually, he's basically just a villain. Right. Well, yeah. He's you, just a bad guy and there's no, there is nothing about him that tells you, oh, there might be a redeeming quality or that he really, no. or, or, or that he's like self, you know, or he's that empty. he's righteous in some way or yeah. that he has a conscience or, you know. Like, I don't know, there's this weird trope in a lot of movies where it's like, you know, hit man with a conscience sure. where, where they have like yeah. strict rules about who they will and won't kill. But not, right. that's not even brought into play until the very last act where he's like, I don't do political assassinations. He but, didn't even say that. He was like, he was like, that wasn't in the contract. Um, that means either like more money. Oh, so it wasn't even like a moral thing. It was just that he thought he wasn't getting paid enough for the risk. Yeah, exactly. Oh, that's... uh, He he has no moral code. Oh, so yeah. So he's basically just a... He's a bad person. I mean, honestly, the movie gives us more evidence of him being a bad person than the people who are... he's supposed to kill. I mean, the, I well, guess but that's what was so weird about this movie is that it didn't. And, and I brought this up a little bit during, and then we decided to table it for the, for the podcast yeah. uh, as, as we should. <laughs> but this, the movie didn't seem to have a point of view yeah. at all. It was just, uh, it was bad guys shooting at other bad guys. Right. Some of who were worse than others, but ambiguously. So, and so like, who were, who were we rooting for? Right. And I mean, Building off of that too, like what did we learn? Like nothing, like the arc that we see is not, it's very small of him being like, oh, this is my one last job. Maybe I'll take like a student on, um, even though that like makes things riskier. You know what? That was proven right. You know, Kong gets kidnapped and, uh, and, and rats him out and fucks up his shit. Um, like no shade on Kong. That's, I, you know, that, that it, choice makes sense but like in terms of the story like okay so his rules at least from like a sort of uh machiavellian standpoint like got got justified but then like you know and he tries to get close to a woman and then she sees that he's a monster and then he i don't know he makes little prayer hands at her and and goes off and you know, spoiler shoots himself in the head. The movie ends with him. Just he, he shoots, which is pretty grisly. Like he, he finally shoots his way up to the big bad guy. Um, and, uh, just puts, puts his head next to his and shoots them both. And do you know if that was the ending of the original? I don't, I'd I'd like to know. I, yeah. So, so what did we learn? What was the point of that journey? 
Yeah, no, I know there. I don't know. I'm not even sure that there was a journey. At, at like, I mean, even even the minuscule one, you are generously trying to pull out of it. I I, I don't even think that. The, I don't think that that was even there. The point is in the title. Bangkok is dangerous. Literally, that's the only thing that I think I walked away with knowing. <laughs> yeah. I didn't already know before was Bangkok seems to be more dangerous than I, I thought. Yeah, it looks like shit goes down there. Um, in the process of, of getting it, uh, of him, I guess, trying to grow a conscience, um, he, he kills a couple of, I guess, bad guys. There's, there's a sex trafficker who he drowns in a, in the Sheridan hotel pool. Yeah. That, that one. And well, yeah, that was one, that was one of the best kills in the movie. That was a good one. Probably the best sequence is the boat chase. Oh yeah. 100%. They, he, he chases this dude through, uh, the canals. Uh, of Bangkok, which I guess they have, which look they look lovely, <laughs> and uh, um, chases him. Uh, ends up getting first. It's like boat versus boat. Then it's motorcycle versus boat. Um, then it's Cage launching the the motorcycle off a ramp into in, so that he jumps he into ju- the boat. He jumps off. The, he stands up on the motorcycle sideways and jumps off of it onto the boat, and then. Cuts off the dude's hand with a boat with the boat motor, the motor propeller, which rules, and was the first moment of a couple moments of like really extreme gore. Well, like, it was weird because they were the the movie would go along these these sequence the fight sequences would go along and they'd be pretty standard shoot 'em ups, pretty bloodless. Like yeah, you, don't, you know. Yeah, but then all of a sudden they, there these sequences would be punctuated by extremely brutal and graphic <laughs> violence. Yeah, where it would just like the like the he takes the boat motor and just cuts through the dude's hand and there's like blood it's like kill bill where there's just yeah. blood spraying in every direction and it's and it's practical effects too which looked great so like the bloody hand is it's like twitching s- and like bleeding <laughs> on the on the floor of the boat yeah and then the other one too where he at the the last sequence where he was you know the like 20 minute shootout in the warehouse where where he pins the guy <laughs> yeah where he pins the guy he against pins the, the blonde door. guy yeah and then he pulls the pin of the grenade and jumps and then the grenade, like somehow the weight of the guy's body was keeping the grenade, you know, like wedged against the door and right. himself. And then it blows up. And then the dude gets like just, I mean, the, a grenade goes off point blank. So there's just guts everywhere. And then it cuts away to just his torso. Yeah. Like emptying itself of intestines yeah. and organs on the ground. And he's like looking down. He's like his like dying moments of, yeah, his, his body just emptying. And like, yeah, that was like, awesome and also like jarring because <laughs> the the movie has been bloodless in in like like literally and and uh metaphorically up until like those points and then you're just like oh shit yeah people are dying here but yeah in that boat scene he cuts that dude's hand off and then there's this great shot of like him shooting <laughs> him shot from like really low shooting down at the camera and then you see from under the boat like the the bullets going into the water it was just it, it was artful um, I wouldn't call it classy, but, uh, but it was fun to watch, which was something. Um, another fun thing I made a note of is the Thai slang that, uh, the Kong calls him a duck fucker. And I a- love that. I'm going to start using that in like <laughs> casual conversation. And then later says, fuck a duck about something, um, which rules. And he also calls him a bird shit foreigner, which I liked. <laughs> Let's talk about the hair a little bit. The hair is really like 
as much of a character in this movie as uh, as Cage himself. I think it's a more compelling character than Cage's. <laughs> more quite fun honestly. to watch. Like we were trying to figure out if it was a piece or not because the hairline is really high. But honestly, I I think it was. I think it might have been a weave situation. I think you're right. Where that where that's where his natural hairline started, and they just maybe kind of you know added some. Yeah, it's so thick and lustrous. <laughs> but it starts like halfway up his head. <laughs> yeah, his forehead is huge in this movie. It goes it on forever. And he looks he looks a lot it's a lot like the hair in uh in next and which kind of makes him look like a bird. He <laughs> you know? Yeah, it does. <laughs> this one was this one went back and up and and then like swooped down similar to next, but it was grimier than Yeah, than, it was like sweatier. <laughs> yeah. It, it almost looked like it it almost looked like a like an aging grunge rocker's hair. Oh yeah, you know what I mean. Like oh yeah. well, okay. So like when when he comes out at the end and he's wearing. Okay, wait. First of all, can we talk about his assassination outfit that made him God. look like the crow? Oh. Where like with the black leather pants with like the, the way the hair swoops. Oh God, he, <laughs> all of his outfits. But then at the end, I was saying. He looks like he looks like an old fat Marilyn Manson. Yeah, that was with, so like, spot like on. With the hair and the black that he's wearing. Yeah. He looks like a fat Marilyn Manson with no makeup. He on. looks like Marilyn Manson now. Yes. 100%. And like the it's that shit is most pronounced when when he's in tourist clothes. He, he wears like a lot of like like sweaty collared shirts and like <laughs> like khakis <laughs> and like, and like loose like Tommy Bahama jeans. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> honestly, honestly, he's he's got a pretty good uh, low key disguise where he just looks like a dad on vacation in Bangkok. He does. The the funniest was when he you said he looked like a Mormon when he yeah. had this like bright white pressed shirt tucked into his pants and this like long blue tie. But then he was wearing uh, his motorcycle helmet because he was going to meet the pharmacist's mom. <laughs> so stupid. I also want to bring up the fact, like, as the the walls are sort of caving in on him and he's realizing that the people he's working for are bad. I mean, it, it should also be said that, like, you know, there's this the whole scene of him. We get this moral conflict where he's sent to sh- kill four people and he kills the three. And then the last one turns out to be a politician who, in, in a nice little bit of exposition, Kong is like, hey... Have you have you seen this politician before? Just unrelated to anything, he's he's actually a good guy. He's good, just like you. And he does poor. Th- he does he does good things for poor people, and everyone loves him. Anyway, I just you know just thought you'd like to know about this that guy. Um, and so you know, turns out that's the fourth kill, and we get him staring down the barrel of the gun. Like, am I thinking about all the violent things he's done in at least the last like few days? And being like, is this who I am or whatever? And, uh, you know, and that moral quandary gets cut short because the true bad guys also have a beat on him and are going to shoot him. There, there's a few moments like that where, you know, it's almost like his his character arc gets like a goose by being like, you know, yes, those are complicated questions, but don't worry. These guys are really bad, though. They're just actually bad. So kill them. Like, there's no problem with that. He, he he chooses not to to kill the guy who's good and everyone loves, um, and then he goes back to his house and gets followed, and uh, and just rolls some bombs down the stairs of uh, 
of his like Airbnb and blows the whole thing up. Well, yeah. Can we talk about how he just sent that random person's house up in a flame? Yeah. Yeah. Cause we were, we were talking about like the, the true bad guys don't know where he is. That's why he needs the Kong. He needs a go between. So they didn't set him up with it. So, but he got it from somewhere. He, somebody is at least renting him that house. And, uh, and it was a nice house, <laughs> but I guess at a certain point he just doesn't give a shit. You know, I guess he's done worse. He's already broken all his own rules. Sure. You know, they just wanted to make some extra money while they were on vacation. So they decided to like Airbnb their place and then they get back and it's just, it's just, it's just a black charred shell yeah. and there's a bunch of like dead gangsters in it. <laughs> One star. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, with that said, like, what else is there to say? I mean, the the rest of the movie from that point on is just this long shootout. It's it's the like one of my least favorite things in movies, specifically action movies, is just like a long shootout in like a sort of indeterminate like industrial space, just like a bunch of warehouses. Like I don't know why they the bad guys were there. Is that part of their business? I don't know how he found them there. It doesn't fucking matter. I don't, I don't know anything. Then he's just running through a bunch of rooms, shooting people, just dark rooms. There's this one room out of the many that was like lit red. Um, and there's like a shootout through a, a bunch of five gallon water bottles that are stacked on a shelf. That was kind of cool, I guess. But I mean, that's really me being generous to it. Like it was cool because it's like more memorable than just like a dark room with people shooting. <laughs> the beginning of that scene was like a home alone trap. Oh yeah. You know, where, where like, where, <laughs> where, where the guys like come through the door and then they're looking around and then cage just pushes all the water bottles down <laughs> and they all roll onto them and they're like, and they're like, whoa, and they all like, they all like trip on him and like fall to the ground. Yeah. I like that he entered the complex too, like with the the other dude's body in front of him, and then just like crossed his arms in front of him, like he was hugging him, and shot people with in like an X formation. It's just like it was cool, I guess. <laughs> well, it was cool while I was watching it, but it's not anything I'm gonna remember. Like I'm gonna wake up tomorrow and literally forget this movie exists. Yeah, yeah, we're gonna have struggle to remember anything from it. There's there's really not a memorable moment. Like honestly, the if, elephant in in the street maybe was the most memorable. I want to see a gif of him throwing plantains at that elephant. Someone make it. But yeah, no, you're right. Like that that was memorable just because I was like, oh, there's a city where you can go and elephants just roam around and you can pet them. <laughs> it seems magical. They just grab your hand with their trunks. There was also there was that whole thing about this. Uh, you know, uh, was also not explained of uh kong like looks into his airbnb before before he destroys it and uh there's a picture of an elephant on the wall and he's like oh the elephant's trunk is pointing down that's bad luck and nicholas cage is like shut up go away and then uh as he falls in love with the woman he turns i think that that was like the catalyst but for some reason maybe i don't know he's just opening up to new thoughts and ideas he turns the painting upside down so the the trunk is pointed upwards which looks kind of ridiculous. And then and then at the end, he like rips it down. Yeah, when, when the woman decides that she doesn't, the pharmacist decides she doesn't want to be with a cold-blooded killer, uh, he, he tears it up and burns it, which, like you said, uh, was extremely dramatic. <laughs> 
I don't know. Maybe I'll remember that. I don't, I don't understand. It would have been nice if they explained why an elephant's trunk pointing down was bad luck. Well, it also would have been nice if they had explained why that politician was so good. Yeah. But, but it was just Kong giving, giving exactly the right bits of useful expositional information. And it's frustrating because like, yeah, so we're just get fed the bare minimum of like what we need to know to be like, okay, he's good guy. Don't kill him. Well, like literally his name was John and we know nothing at all. Oh, Joe, I'm sorry. You're right. His (laughs) name was Joe and we know nothing at all about his life before the start of the movie. Um, I, I was thinking about how there's a David Gordon green movie starring Nicholas cage, uh, coming up way down the pike called Joe where he's like a logger or something. Oh yeah, I, I know about this one. Yeah. Um, I wonder if it's the same Joe. Yeah, that's that's really all I was thinking. You know, I don't know if it's as far down the uh, far down the pipe as you think it is. Well, it's, oh yeah, you're right. Like, it's like we, 2015. It's probably. We're, we're in 2008 right oh, now. Oh, I guess, I guess we are pretty far back. I don't know why I thought we were in like 2011 right now. Oh man, we have so much to go. I don't know, we've been cruising though. We're um, Actually, yeah, and it's been a pretty good... It's it's been a pretty good stream of stuff. I feel like this one stopped the momentum, but like woof, yeah. But from from na- from the first National Treasure through the second National Treasure, it was like it, that was an all right run. That was yeah, it was fine. I wasn't mad at those no. movies. Even even next and Blade and uh, Blade Runner, uh, uh, Ghost Rider, Ghost Rider. Jesus Christ! Even next and Ghost <laughs> I was, Rider. I was mad at Ghost yeah. Rider. <laughs> well, but like it was still entertaining. Yeah, you know, for sure. It was still it was you were still it, watching it, being like, what the fuck is going on? I remember things from Ghost Rider. I I really believe I am going to forget this movie. I, there's the only, the, the only interesting thing about it to me is the fact that it's, uh, it is what's behind it is this idea of working with, uh, relative unknowns to, uh, and, you know, sort of, and asking them to reinvent you. That's cool. You know, <laughs> you know, what's really cool though. Next up on the pike, we have knowing. Oh, I can't wait for yeah, this one. That's uh I I remember seeing that one and I only remember enough about it to be excited. Um so Oh no, but then you know what we have after that? I do know. <laughs> the gerbil movie. <laughs> the animated gerbil movie. The only one I'm looking forward to less than the gerbil movie is the crudes. Is the crudes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh God, give us strength. I mean, what the fuck? Well, the thing is, Dave, is these are completely self-imposed. Like we we could we could choose to not do those. I mean, we won't. We're we're gonna suffer. That undercuts the whole. No, you're right. The whole uh, whatever this is. Thank God we're both such completists. I know. Um, I don't know what we do. (laughs) The only thing that we have elected not to watch so far was the that shitty Christmas Carol. Where yeah. he replaced Marley. Sometimes I think about that and I'm like, am I going to come back as a ghost? Because like I have unfinished business. I have to, there's one, there's one left that I didn't watch. You have to watch the, uh, yeah. as a ghost, you have to watch the unfinished, the, the, the animated uh, Christmas Carol. <laughs> I have to haunt someone until they play until it Until they me. rent it yeah. from Netflix. No, to be honest though, like this, this next, uh, this next stretch is going to be good. I mean, we have G-Force, the gerbil movie. Um, and then we have Astro Boy, Bad, Bad Lieutenant. Great. Kick-Ass. Great. Sorcerer's, Sorcerer's Apprentice. Apprentice. Great. Ghost Rider, Spirit of Vengeance. You know what? Great. Sure. Fine. <laughs> sure. Uh, but then there's one that, in, there's one like, this like seven down the line, but mm. there is this one called Trespass that I know nothing about. 
Yeah. Which, which could be interesting. See, I think, I think it's, I think now those will be the ones that I enjoy going into the most. I think where, so too. Where I just have zero conception. I don't remember yeah. it coming out. I don't know anything about it. <laughs> um, yeah. You know, that, that, that is the thing about VOD that I was, and, and like direct to DVD stuff that, that, that we're getting into that period of his career is that like, I think we're going to find some hidden gems. We're at least going to find some stuff that's interesting. I, I truly believe that. I don't know what will be the new classic. I don't know if it'll be the frozen ground from 2013 or dying of the light from 2014 or arsenal from 2017 literally i don't even know or, from the titles what these movies are or uh running with the devil from 2019 who knows but uh we're gonna find out by the time we get to like mandy or something man we're people are gonna be throwing money at us begging us to be on this podcast i can't wait people are gonna be applauding us for the good important work that we're doing and most important to me we'll have crushed and belittled and uh, completely outshone all the other Nicolas Cage podcasts that we were even that we even deigned to notice when we first started this. Because like I don't even need to listen to them to know that we're crushing it and killing it. And do they have pins? No, no, they no. don't. Do they have friends? Probably not. They're probably, probably not. Probably losers. We have friends. We have friends. They're on the podcast. And they text us about the movies that they're yeah, watching. there you go. Um, in the meantime, until we have loads of money getting thrown at us, <laughs> uh, please rate and subscribe yes. us on the uh, podcast app. We also follow us on Instagram at Heat Seeking Panther. Uh, and if you want to email us, don't. We never check it. Don't. But heat seeking but panther at if gmail want. if you're into that kind of thing. Oh, if you want to send us the gif of of cage throwing plantains at the it. elephant, yeah. uh, you can send that to our uh to heat seeking panther at gmail.com. <laughs> Please. Um till next time. <laughs>